Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom on the show, we have Tatiana, who free birthed her second daughter eight years after her first birth. Sadly, Tatiana's first birth was completely sabotaged by an irresponsible midwife who abandoned her after days of attempting to induce her. So Tatiana took her time and did the work of healing until she was ready again. And when she was ready, she staked her claim and birthed entirely her way. my friend. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So just start wherever it feels it feels true for you to start. Where where I ask your what marks the beginning of your mothering journey? What comes to mind in your life? What part of your life? Well, actually the first thing that came to mind when you said that was when I was four years old and I used to play birth with my friend, even though I had no idea what the birth process was like. She had a newborn baby doll that looked like a real newborn with the umbilical cord and everything. And I would like pretend to be in labor. I would just like moan on the bed and then the baby would pop out of my umbilicals because that's... Easy peasy. But yeah, I mean, I guess in my adult journeys, probably um, when I started studying midwifery, and actually the real urge to have babies um, came when my brother died. It was like he died and it was like an instinctual urge because he died three months after my father. And um, he died really suddenly of a drug overdose. And I, mm. remember, I remember laying there that night with my husband and it was like, oh, I'd like, I need to grow the family. Like the family just contracted so wow. tremendously losing these two people. Like I need to grow the family. We didn't have our first daughter until like a couple years after that. But I remember that real strong urge. Like I had never felt it before. That was really interesting. Brought on by death, but I guess it makes sense from a survival. Totally. Standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so with my first daughter, I was studying to be a midwife and I was studying to be a home birth midwife. And I was studying with my teacher was like the most radical person I could find. She would do breech births and twins and all the things that no one else would touch at home. And that's why I really wanted to study with her. I wanted to learn 
how to support those things. I didn't really know about um, free birth or unassisted birth at the time. I just felt this like real deep calling to to support women in in their birthing process. And I, I mean, whatever other people believe, I I'm pretty sure it was a, a past life thing because it felt pretty strong um, when I was down in Tennessee at the farm doing my midwifery apprenticeship program with. And, uh, and I remember walking through the paths in their woods and just feeling like my, my soul self lined up with my present self. It was a really, um, Hmm. wild experience. I was like, oh yeah, I've done this before. I know how to do this. And I've had that experience actually at births where like my hands just know what to do. Oh yeah. Um, I call it the great remembering. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, you know, remembering the persecution for it. I mean, there's a real thick in the in the midwifery world, as I'm sure you know and you've encountered, there's there's some real thick, deep wounding that is still playing itself out in that world um, that I think plays into you know a lot of the power dynamics and things that can happen in the birthing space that aren't so lovely. But yeah, so I was studying to be a midwife, and um, my midwifery teacher, I decided to have her as my midwife, which in in retrospect is a horrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, she was, I had like lined her up. I was, I was going to be apprenticing under her. I had already been to a couple births with her and, um, you know, we had talked about after I had the baby, I could, you know, sling my baby on the back and come to birth with her and really had set it up that way. And a couple of my fellow students were assistants, um, for her, for my birth. And, um, and I remember being about five months pregnant and having this intuition that, I um I should find a different midwife. Mm-hmm. And I was not where I'm at right now in terms of my confidence and willingness to um engage in challenging conversation and 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 sort of hurt someone's feelings to for my own to stand in my own truth. I w- I wasn't I wasn't really able to do that yet back then. And uh and so I didn't seek out a different midwife. And I think I should back up actually, because what happened at the very beginning of that pregnancy, my husband and I have been going to Sundance, um, which is a traditional Native American ceremony. This particular Sundance was in the ghost way. It goes, uh, happens in North Dakota on the Mandan reservation there, but there's tribes all over that have different Sundances, but that's the one we, we were going to. And, um, the year before I got pregnant, I had actually danced and then we came back the next year and I was pregnant. And every year that I went to the Sundance, I would, I would bleed. I would have my moon. Um, I had a very strong relationship with the land there and a lot of, a lot of things to learn about ceremonial ways and moon time and how that all works together. Um, anyone who's sort of traveled in those spaces knows that there, some tribes have some really, really serious taboos around, um, menstruation and, and being able to participate in ceremony and, Anyway, there was a lot in that study for me with this particular ceremony. And so, you know, I danced the year before I danced for my brother. And then, um, and then I came back the following year and I was pregnant. And I was like so thrilled to be pregnant, right? And I ended up having a bleed at Sundance. And I think in my deepest heart, I knew that I was miscarrying. But I didn't want to acknowledge it to myself. 
I didn't want to let everyone else down because I had woman after woman after woman come up and tell me her story about when she bled in pregnancy and was able to carry full term. There was one one round where the head woman dancer came up to me and she was like, this next round, all the women are praying for you. And so it felt like, like I had to, I had to bring this baby into the world. Like the chief took me up to the tree afterwards, after the dance was over and he, he took bark from the tree and he made me a belt from it. Um, because that, the tree, I mean, the sun dance is all about, it's a dance for life. It's a, it's a fertility dance, really. It's a, it's a dance to honor the continuation of life and, and the celebration of life. And, um, and so I, you know, everyone was giving me leaves from the tree and I was made, I made this, you know, bark belt. And, um, and then I got pregnant right away again, after the dance, I willed myself to be pregnant right afterwards. And I remember it was on 4th of July, there were fireworks. (laughs) And, uh, but still, this was all like the awareness was still super subconscious. You know, it, I wasn't bringing it to the forefront. I can look back and I can see that that's what happened. But at the time, and I remember coming to, to my midwife, my midwifery teacher and saying like, well, let's just see, like I had this bleed, but I'm not going to do ultrasounds. So if I'm still pregnant, then it wasn't a miscarriage. I actually didn't know at the time that it was physically possible to get pregnant again so quickly after a miscarriage, I thought that you had to have a complete cycle. So even though like in my intuitive body, I knew I was pregnant again, I knew I willed myself to be pregnant again. It wasn't until the way end of my pregnancy when I was 43 and a half weeks pregnant, 43 and a half weeks, um, cause my dates were five weeks off that, um, mm. that my midwife was like, are you sure the bleed at Sundance wasn't a miscarriage? And the way she, the way she phrased it was like, okay, I'm 43 and a half weeks pregnant in my psychology. And also my body had actually been pregnant for that long because I did miscarry and then I got pregnant. So like I, I had gained 80 pounds. I was, I had had a head in my pelvis for two months. I was measuring perfect. I was measuring spot on for dates. And so when she asked me this question, she phrased it as a question. Are you sure that bleed at Sundance wasn't a miscarriage? I was like, what I heard was, are you sure you might not actually possibly be pregnant for another five weeks? And I was like, hell fucking no, that like, that's not possible. That that is not in the realm of possibility for me to be pregnant for five more weeks. That's if that's what you're saying to me. No, that's not a possibility at all. Oh God! And you know, I really feel that like her responsibility as midwife in that role is not to ask me that question, but is to present to me like here's all of the possibilities. Um, if that was a bleed. I know this sounds like a really horrible option, but like if that was a bleed and we don't treat it like that, here's what could potentially happen. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that that was her responsibility to do and she didn't do it. I think in part because I was her student, she expected me to know a lot more than I did. Mm. Um, I was really arrogant. So I pretended to know a lot more than I did. And, um, so that's not what happened. She asked me the question. I said, no, it's not possible. So 
that that was dropped. So 44 and a half weeks comes along. And at this point, everyone's like, everyone's like, have you had your baby yet? Have you? And I'm like, fuck you all go away. Like, leave me alone. You know, I'm just going to go ski in my giant sweaters and like try to forget that I'm... Wait, were you really skiing? I, I There is a picture of me on CrossFit <laughs> skis in this gigantic belly. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I got very far, but you know, <laughs> we can do that right out our door here at the cabin. So. Oh, cool. Um, so she shows up at my house with both the assistants. My house is tiny, by the way. I mean, we have technically like 900 square feet, but half of that is upstairs. So like the, the footprint is like small, right? I'm huge. She shows up at my house with both assistants and says, we're not leaving until you have your baby. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was what? like, a, yes, it was, it was scheduled that I was going to have an appointment, but there was no mention that both of them were coming and there was no talk about Whoa. like, let's do induction. Holy shit. That's criminal. It was really intense. And so this, and this is my first baby. Right. And I'm Whoa. like scared. I'm like, what's wrong with me that I'm going so far overdue. Right. Um, so for three days, we do every home induction thing under the sun. We do the castor oil, we do the homeopathy, we do the cohashes, we do all the things. We do the stripping of the membranes. And it was crazy when she stripped my membranes, there was this like, it looked like coffee grounds that came out. It was really, and that freaked me out. And so we do all the things. I'm running up and down the stairs, driving on the bumpy roads, having all the sex, doing all the stuff. Enemas, it was not fun. Um, and you know, I had some contractions, but nothing that led to anything. And she sits me down. Finally, she sends the assistants home. Um, she sits my husband and I down in the evening and she looks at us and she says, you are 44 and a half weeks. Um, technically you, you have to fire me as your midwife and continue on by yourself, or you have to go to the hospital and get an induction because I can't. I can't do this with you anymore. And she said, you are so clearly not 44 and a half weeks. Right. But I didn't know that. Like none of us like, she should have known that. That's absurd. That's That's, her, that's that's her responsibility to have known that. And like, and it's, it's so incredibly unlikely, like to not have leaned away from that into like a more true story is kind of stupid. Well, I mean, you, I mean, on the midwife, I think I agree. I think, I think that, and I think that probably in retrospect, she realizes that too. Um, and, and that she didn't ask the right questions and didn't act appropriately. And, Mm, you know, we all make mistakes and, uh, and I was, I was that mistake for her. Right. We all sabotage births from time to time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I know I've probably played a role or two in sabotaging someone's birth at some point also. Um, because when you're learning, you're learning and you Mm -hmm. fuck up and, and we, we, I guess, sign up to be fucked up with, with each other. So, um, (laughs) title of the episode. Uh, so yeah, so that, so that happened and I was, you know, and, and she was like, I don't feel like anything's wrong. And I was like, I don't feel like anything's wrong either. None of us, we couldn't figure out what the hell was going on because it was like, I don't feel like anything's wrong, wrong, but I am going to still abandon you. Well, so here's the deal because 
two weeks prior or like just that week, there had been a midwife who had brought a 44 week woman into the hospital in Holyoke and the whole midwifery community had a shit fit about it, even though the woman was fine. And so it was like the midwife's feet were being held to the fire by the whole community at this point, which is actually a very small community out here in Western Massachusetts. And, um, and so it was like, well, she, what was she going to do? She, she had to save her license at a certain point, you know, and like it gets to that point for midwives and like that fucking sucks, but that's, that's the world we're in right now. And so that's, that's what it came to. And she even said to me, she was like, you can fire me as your midwife and keep going. And like, if you want to then call me when you're in labor, like that's fine. And I'll come. But I really didn't feel comfortable at that point with all of the intervention that we had done with the baby not being monitored because, you know, I was scared at that point and I didn't know what was happening. We had done so much and I was like, is something wrong? And like, you know, you get into that fear space when you're pregnant. It can be hard to really access what's true after a certain point. And so we slept on it and um, I woke up in the morning and, and I was like, oh, yeah, I don't feel comfortable not being monitored. And so I guess that means we're going to go to the hospital, which was like the most devastating decision I'd ever made in my life. And I was like sobbing basically the entire morning. So my husband calls her and says, okay, we're, we decided to go to the hospital. She says, okay, I'll call them and I'll, I'll call you back. Two hours later, she calls us back and says, okay, they're expecting you and I'm not coming with you. Our whole contingency, the entire pregnancy, my contingency was at least if I go to the hospital, Beth will be with me because she can advocate for me. She like knows her shit. Like they, they trust her. They respect her there. You know, she had stories of births where she took her, her mom to the hospital and they let her deliver the baby. Like, you know, that I, I, I knew that she would be there and she wasn't. And, ni- and and none of the assistants wanted to touch it either because they were studying. They were new midwives. They didn't want to be associated with this like high risk woman coming in. And so here I am, like it's my first baby. I'm going into a potentially very hostile environment being so post dates and then going into a hospital that I don't really have a relationship with. And I was just, I was like beyond upset. Um, so I couldn't eat like the whole morning. I was just like crying, sobbing, you know, we we're driving to the hospital. I'm like, I can't believe this is my reality right now. Um, getting to the hospital, I have to get hooked up to the monitor. I'm like, do I have to be on this thing? They're like, yes, you do because you're high risk, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, can I eat something? Cause I haven't eaten all day. Like I'm really hungry. They're like, no, now that you're here and you're hooked up to the monitor, we can't, you can't eat anything. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm about to do the hardest work of my life and you're expecting me to do it starved? <laughs> like, what is this? Um, you know, so anyway, that was, it was hard. It was horrible. Um, the one best part was there was this awesome dready nurse who came in at one point and did my abdominal massage on me and totally like brought the cosmos into, into my birthing experience. But um there was a student midwife who essentially at the last minute, um, you know, I had like, I had studied birth and I had, 
I was so prepared for that moment when the head comes out and I'm like, okay, and you hold it, you breathe so that your tissues can spread. You go through the ring of fire, you breathe through it. You don't barrel through it. So you don't tear, you deliver the head, you get your paws, the shoulders restitute. And then the body comes out like this is the birth dance. I knew it so well. I had studied it. I was like ready in it. Here we go. So finally, like we get to that point. Um, you know, I had like crossed the transition threshold. I knew I w- my body had started pushing. The midwife was like, let me check you to make sure that you're ready to push. I'm like, whatever. Like I'm pushing. My body's doing this. I mean, you can check me if you want, but like this is happening. So head comes out, do the whole thing. Beautiful. And I was like, okay, now I get my pause. But I didn't get my pause because there were eight people in the room who were yelling at me to keep going and keep pushing, even though my body was not pushing. And then the midwife, the student midwife who was on um, on duty that at that time pulled the baby out of me and tore the crap out of me with her shoulder. Like I, it, it was in, I basically felt like I had been raped um, because I, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to push her body out. I, I didn't want that. Um, and I had worked so hard to not tear because I knew what I was doing. Um, but I tore, I tore really badly. And then here comes an OB who's never seen me before in her life, stitches me up way too tight as I'm like having my first nursing with my baby. Um, it's not even, it's not even like you tore. It's more like you were ripped. Yes. That's exactly what happened. I was ripped. It was almost third degree tear. Um, and it was so incredibly painful. And so to say that that was a dramatic birth, is like, it was pretty dramatic. There was like the abandonment, there was a like rape kind of feel. Um, and then I didn't make enough milk for my baby because I have IGT and which by the way is like whoever the fuck named IGT really needs a talking to because no woman Tell everyone what it is so IGT is is insufficient glandular tissue and no postpartum woman needs to be told that she's insufficient in any way shape or form um but essentially what it means is that when my breasts were developing my glandular my mammary glands didn't fully develop and so my body doesn't make enough milk for the baby um which I was hoping would be different this time around, but it wasn't. It Spoiler. wasn't. Spoiler well, alert. <laughs> yeah, and it's complicated because you don't... I almost want to put what you just said into like a... Like a... What's the right word? Like a neutral reality where we actually can't totally say how it would have been if your first baby had been totally undisturbed and supported and you had birthed in total, um, you know, all the stuff because yes, you free birth the second, but now you have this whole story at your back. So that's true to, it's not, it's not one for one. Right. And it's it's true. And also I was induced at she assessed at 40 weeks. Right. So I was actually induced at 40 weeks. Yeah. Um, which I could have, I was a 43 week baby. My husband was a 43 and a half week baby. Like it's very likely and possible that I could have been pregnant for another three weeks and and she would have been fine. So that's Um, the other point, right? So there's so, there's so much disruption and sabotage 
in this story that we we can't know what could have happened had you been given a truly spontaneous physiological untraumatic birth process that's true and yeah because then with the second story I feel like it still doesn't necessarily prove because you know how complex it is we're up against so many beliefs and our beliefs create our reality and da 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 Mm -hmm. so it's it's tricky I've seen a lot of women be labeled that and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and I always wonder about that I, you know, and it, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that. Cause I wonder about that too. And I have like all of the classic, like I'm kind of textbook for it. Um, and I have poly, you know, I have polycystic ovaries ever since I was younger and was put on birth control before I was sexually active, mm-hmm. which in my research, the second time around I was reading can actually have a huge impact, but I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it would have, what it would have been like, what it could have been like, had it been different. I will never know. All I know is that with my first baby, I was planning, I'm like earth mama, right? Like I was planning on being the abundant flowing river of milk mother and like climbing mountains and nursing my baby at the top of them, which has not been possible for me because I have to be within, you know, access to hot water and all the things. When did you get that label? Was it not until your baby was born? Oh yeah, it wasn't until. Okay. After So what happened was, you know, I brought her home um, right away. I was like, I'm getting out of this hospital. Like we're bringing her home and she didn't poop for six days Mm. and he wasn't really giving us diapers. And then she started to get like really limp and non-responsive. And I was like, "Uh." so we took her to the hospital. Um, and they were like, okay, we're checking you in. And your, you, we need to give your baby formula. So oh. it was like, it was like the worst. I had <laughs> such horrible postpartum depression. That is um, so hard. It was so hard. It was so hard. And we had just moved to it like a new area and I was so fat and I, it was like so hard to meet new people. It's people treat you differently when you're really overweight and you don't realize that until you get to that point and you haven't been exactly at that point before, but they do. And when you see the contrast, it's like, it's marked. Um, so it, there was just like, it was just so hard and I was so depressed and for like all the reasons, the birth was horrible. The milk situation was horrible. My whole, my, my like, my husband was got divorced because it was like so intense, such an intense strain on the relationship. He didn't anticipate having to be involved in feeding our child, you know, like when she was first born, that wasn't something that he thought, like, I didn't even know that was the thing. I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be able to feed her. Like, this isn't going to be hard. Um, so I was so blessed and have been so blessed to receive donated breast milk. I'm like beyond... Um, you know, with my first daughter, she had a couple weeks of formula. And then at six months, I started making my own formula for her um, and had donor milk all the way in between. My second daughter is um, almost eight months and she's, I've get, had only had to give her formula one time for one feed. And she's been exclusively um, human milk that whole time. So that's been amazing. And I'm just so grateful and blessed that that's that that's been an option. But anyway, so that was my like super traumatic first. And I was like, I can't, I'm not um, having another baby for a really long time. Because 
how do you go back into relationship with this midwife that totally abandoned you? We did not. Do you just ever talk again? So we, we met once, um, I think Sana was like six months old. Um, actually no. So they came, they, she and the both assistants came when like, like two days after the birth came to the house to like see the baby and see me and everything. And I like, couldn't even make eye contact with them. I was Uh. so, you know, I'm like sitting there naked, but like, I can't make eye contact with you. Um, and then she knew she had fucked up and, and we had a meeting and she told me, she was like, it's never going to sit right with me. What happened? And I was like, good, that it shouldn't, that wasn't okay. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I haven't talked to her since. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so that was also a factor in the PPD was like my whole career path that I had mapped out, like, and now all of a sudden was not happening either. Wow. So it was like everything fell away. Everything that I thought it was going to be, it was not. Thought I was going to be home birth, was in the hospital. Thought I was going to be abundant milk mama. I had so much heart trouble. Thought I was going to be a midwife. <laughs> That's it. That was not, not what was in the cards for me. Um, I thought I was going to lose the weight magically in the nursing process after having the baby. Didn't lose the weight at all. Um, until the baby was like two and a half. So yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a rough, rough ride. And also that year we didn't go to Sundance because I was not going to be able to do bottles and milk on the prairie. Like that, Mm. that was not happening. You can't be sanitary out on the prairie and especially not in Sundance mode because of the way that you have to be so intentional with how you use water and it was just, that was just not going to happen. And so we didn't go back. And I, and I had so, I had such a really challenging relationship with, with Sundance and with what had happened and like, was what had happened? I didn't know what had happened. It took me years actually to be able to tell the story the way I tell it now. Like for, for a couple of years after Sana was born, the story was I went 44 and a half weeks into my pregnancy. And it was only a couple of years ago that I was able to start telling the story like, oh, I had a miscarriage and then got pregnant again right away. And so was induced at 40 weeks when we thought I was 44 and a half because my days were five weeks off. Um, I can tell that story now. It took a long time for me to be able to tell, to like acknowledge the reality of what had happened. Because in order to do that, I had to acknowledge that I had created a horrendous situation for myself Mm. and like the absolute opposite of what I wanted. And that I, Mm. I was responsible for that. And that was hard to swallow. That was a real hard pill to swallow. Yeah. It's a big deal, but in a way does lead to freedom. Oh, absolutely. Right. And that's why when I work with my clients now, it's like, people don't like the whole hundred percent responsibility thing. Right. And you know, they think it's the whole victim blaming and all this, but but it's like, no, like if you want to be free, you've got to be able to own your part in that a hundred percent because at five months pregnant, I was like, Hmm, maybe I should find another midwife. Right. And you betrayed yourself. And I didn't. And who knows what would have happened, how that story would have been reframed. I mean, you know, it's all, this is the cost of betraying yourself. 
and <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty big cause. Well, it's not worth kind, it. It's not worth kind it. Of the, um, this might sound weird, but like the positive in what high stakes birth is because it yeah. affects your child. It's the story your child will walk with. It's your, your initiation into motherhood. It's like kind of the highest stakes there are. And so, I mean, obviously this is like exactly where I work with women. And what I see is that often the stakes have to be that high to like smack you awake, you know, into that you actually cannot afford to betray yourself ever again. And so the, the like rising of the ashes, you know, new woman you are after you've gone through that really, really decimating initiation is is the calling to the higher self that now you live in, right? So it's it would be great if we could learn that lesson in a softer way, but it seems like so many women, it has to be... Yeah. Like my mother always says, it has to get real uncomfortable before you're willing to shift. And I feel like then we take that into the lens of birth and it's like, yeah, it's the highest stakes that there are. Yeah. I mean, we can take we can see that happening collectively right now too. Yeah getting real uncomfortable because the shit's got to change so yeah um and and I and I do take ownership of that story and it took me a long time to be able to do it yeah. and it's been an, it's been an, a layered process of you know unraveling but like you know I was so arrogant and I was so judgmental going into it and I had so many like self-righteous beliefs about like birth and yeah, what was and wasn't okay. And, yeah. and I just, I got schooled, you know, yeah. I got schooled hard. Sure. I will never forget being in a coffee shop in downtown Northampton and feeding my baby with a bottle and having some hippie bitch, like come and look at me. Like, I can't believe she's feeding her baby with a bottle. And I was, I was like, you, you have no idea. Yeah. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I got. I, I I needed to get taken down a couple notches because I was way too self-righteous. So, how many years apart are your two daughters? Um, almost eight. Okay, so yeah, so, kind of take us through. So those eight seven years. <laughs> so yeah, those seven years were the unraveling, were the were the coming back into myself, remembering who I am. Um, you know, finding, um finding the truth of, you know, the work that I want to do in the world. I stayed connected to the birth world. Um, I was doing placenta encapsulations for a while and I did do some doula work until my husband and I calculated the last birth I did. I got paid like $2 an hour because of the amount of time that I was there. And it was just like, this is not, if I'm going to do birth work, it's probably going to be, you know, um, when I'm old and gray and, um, it can just offer it as a, a love gift and not have to do that for my livelihood. Cause that's not, it's too much in there, too much in there. Um, and so, yeah, so it was many years of, of shifting gears. And then, um, we actually moved from Massachusetts. We moved out to California and I was finally starting to feel like, okay, like, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to start calling in another little one. And my husband, you know, he was great. He was like, he knew that it was so intense for me. And he's like, when, you know, you take your time with this, I'm not going to push you. And I had actually, you know, we had talked about it before we ever had kids. I was like, you know, the Cherokee space, their kids seven years apart on purpose so that the kids can help out with the baby. 
I think that's actually kind of a brilliant idea. And I had friends who were having their babies back to back and I saw how hard it was for them. And I was like, I, that's not happening for me. I probably would have murdered somebody if I had had another baby right away. Um, and I'm actually not joking when I say that, like I was not mentally sound enough to have another baby right away. Um, so yeah, so it took me some time. I mean, no one, no one has back to back babies and has ever said, it was super chill. It was super easy. So, so easy. Yeah, no. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> Even with all the nannies and the money in the world. Yeah, it's 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 hard. And I was not up for that challenge. I, and I had a lot of, bo- you know, healing to do with my body. Um, we had a lot of, of work to do together. And um, so we get to California and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to start opening this door. But I realized that because we hadn't been back to Sundance that whole time. You know, we had, we, we had found other ceremonial family and, and, you know, we're praying in different ways, but, um, hadn't been back to that particular Sundance. And I was like, I have to make right with that baby that I lost. Um, cause I never acknowledged it as a miscarriage. Like I have to go back to those grounds where I dropped that baby and I need to make peace with that with that ceremony. I need to make peace with that community. I need to make peace with that baby before I can say, yes, I'm I'm ready to, to do this again. Like that, that is the final step that is holding up this process. Cause I had been kind of like oscillating back and forth between readiness for like a couple of years. Um, I had had a couple miscarriages and, and which were, you know, kind of relief miscarriages when they happened, you know, cause it was like, maybe I wasn't actually ready for that. Um, but I, you know, it was like, yeah, okay, if we're going to do this, like we need, we have to go back to Sundance. So we made the decision, um, in May to go back to Sundance and when we arrived at Sundance, I was two weeks late on my period and I was like, holy shit like this is you you've got to be kidding me on a certain level but also like how amazing on another level like I was like like, you can't make that shit up like this is so many years later and it was crazy only because uh, you know so I was like okay I historically bleed on these grounds like right so so if we're gonna go and I don't bleed then we can assume that I'm pregnant because I'm on my body's giving me all the signs. I've got the boobs. I've got the tired. I've got the, you know, no blood thing happening. And I remember uh, talking to, they, they had switched chiefs at that point, but the old chief was there and, um, you know, and everyone knew. And it was so interesting because like, you know, we hold our stories a certain way. Some of the people who, who had been there when I had that bleed, they were like, oh yeah, you had a miscarriage last time you were here, you know? And like, I was like, how is it so like <laughs> easy for you to say that? And it took me so many years to be able to acknowledge that that's what happened. Um, oh you know, and, and then there were other people who were like, oh my God, I had no idea that that had been a miscarriage, you know? So it was the, the full range. But I, you know, I said to the chief at one point, I was like, I'm two weeks late on my period. And he just the biggest smile. And, um, and he took me again at the end of the, at the end of the ceremony, he took me to the tree and he gave me a, a, a bark, um, and made a belt for me. He was like, you wear that, you know, 
Um, and it was beautiful. It was so beautiful because in that, in that tradition, um, so Sundance is traditionally a four day ceremony and, um, and in that tradition, the third day is actually at night. And, um, the night dance is when, um, there are people who can come in and they can dance the night dance that aren't actually dancing the full four days. And, um, and so I was able to actually go in and dance, um, and, and during the night and it was amazing to just be there again and to be under the arbor and to be able to pray like that and it was just it was so special and so you know I didn't bleed I didn't bleed the whole time we were at Sundance and um and we're driving back and I was like okay I, I'm looking on my phone I'm like okay I, I gotta estimate when the when there's this due date is gonna be right it was to the day, the exact same due date as baby number one pre-miscarriage. Whoa. Exact same due date. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is crazy. This, I'm, so it, I'm like, this has got to be that baby. Like, I, I, and I had a number of moments throughout the pregnancy. I'm like, this is that, that first baby was just like, oh, you're not ready for me yet. Like, I'm going to make way for my little warrior, my warrior sister to come through and I'll come in later when you're ready. And, um, so obviously after all the experience that I had been through, I had decided that I wanted a free birth, um, with this baby. I was, I was open to entertaining the idea of a midwife, but I was, I knew at this point with the birth that I had been to and the the path that I had walked is like, look, birth is such a co-creative process. Like if, anyone is in the room and they're present, they're going to influence the outcome of the birth. And so I really don't, I I need to be very, very intentional if I'm going to have anyone else there. It's got to be someone who can fully meet me in this space of faith um, and belief in my body's ability to do this. And but we were living in California and we didn't, we had just moved there. I didn't really have much community there. I didn't really know very many people. Fortunately, I had a friend who actually introduced me to your show and introduced me to Free Birth Society. And um, that was in your course. And that like that was such a huge um, cornerstone for me of being able to make it through that decision um, and, and follow through with it completely. Uh, and, and her having free birthed her son, um, you know, six months earlier. So she was like a total, total rock for me during that time period. But I did, was I was it? Like, do I know her? Uh, Jamie, she was on your show. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's awesome. And I, you know, I like facilitated her blessing way before I went to Sundance and totally brought her into my prayers when I was, um, when I was dancing because she was just about to have her baby at that time. And, um, yeah, so, so I was really, really grateful to have her support and, and, um, we did a lot of beach walks together with her baby on her and pregnant during the, during the later part of my pregnancy. I did end up, I, I was like, okay, I want to have some prenatal care 
really just to have someone to like do my paperwork for me. And I actually did want an ultrasound. Um, I think because of my previous experience and even though I didn't have a bleed, I was like, I want, I just, I want one. Um, and so I had one ultrasound at 20 weeks and I, I was just like, I just want to make sure that like we're on track, everything feels right. But I just, I, I wanted to check certain boxes and, um, and that was, you know, that was a process in and of itself, finding a midwife who I felt like would first of all be okay with the fact that I didn't actually want her as my midwife. I just wanted her to do some tests and, and I, you know, was looking online cause I didn't really know people. And so I found this one midwife that other people seemed to like, she had a good reputation. And I was like, I, when I reached out to her, I was like, Hey, I'm planning on free birthing. Um, but I would like some prenatal appointments. And she was amenable to that. I was going to say in retrospect, I wish that I hadn't, I had sort of had a wild pregnancy too, but I don't know that that's actually entirely true. I was grateful to have someone to do the paperwork and that like, that wasn't a thing that I had to deal with and, and kind of like, I just wasn't up for that side of things. I wish I hadn't gone to my last prenatal appointment with her. You wanted the ultrasound for date confirmation? I wanted the ultrasound just for like a everything's good confirmation, not just for dates, just for like, because I know that they're not really super accurate for dates. I wanted, I, I just wanted to make sure that like all the organs were there and everything was good, you know? And, um, and I wanted, uh, I did want some of the blood work too. Because I had suspected that I was in danger of having um, diabetes. And so I wanted to make sure that everything was good there too. And, um, and all the tests came back fine. And my blood work came back fine. Actually, there was one great thing that came out of the blood work. She realized I was vitamin D deficient. And so I was able to start supplementing with that. Um, so I was grateful for that bit of information. But my last prenatal appointment with her, um, I wish I had not gone to because I was feeling so great. I was like, I feel healthy. I feel good. I feel strong. Um, I'm like so ready to do this, even though, yeah, I was like gaining more weight than I wanted to. But like, I feel like I can do this. I can handle it. I, I'm in like a great space. And I go to that appointment and... Um, she measures my belly, which she had only seen me like once before. Um, measures my belly, palpates me for like two minutes. And it's like, you're, you have way too much fluid. You're measuring large for dates and you should go get a non-stress test. And I'm like, okay, why would you even say that to me? You know, that I'm planning a free birth. Like, what the fuck? Like, how, where is this information coming from? Like, you, you don't even hardly know me. Like, how? And, and I was like, bup, bup, bup. like, let's back up for a second. Okay. Cause I was clearly measuring large for dates with my first baby because I was measuring spot on for dates that were five weeks off with my first baby. Like, I gained a lot of weight with my pregnancies. Probably has something to do with extra fundal height measurement because there's fat in the way. Also, Fundal height measurements are not anything. They're not reliable. They're not evidence-based. They're not, they're, they're nonsense. And the, and then the, the fluid thing, I'm like, you touched me for like a minute. Like, how do you, where is this coming from? And it was clearly just her own fear. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous because at first it was like, okay, if I, you know, there was a part of me that was like, you know, it could be nice to have someone 
on call for like the first hour postpartum because in all my studying that I had done, I kind of wish that I knew less about birth than I did going into it, honestly, because I feel like there's like an ignorance is bliss kind of moment for some people. But I was like, you know, like the worst things that can happen, happen the first couple hours after birth usually. Um, so maybe I want someone who can like, I can call if something happens, right? If I need help in that time period. Um, and she was open to that. And then actually towards the end, she was like, actually, like if something happens, just call the ambulance. Cause I don't, I'm like, well, what was the point of all of this? You know, but Anyway, so I, so I had, so she basically like threw a gigantic fear bomb at me that I then had to metabolize and, um, work through. Um, but I had some really awesome moments with that pregnancy. I really enjoyed that pregnancy for the most part, even though I was exhausted and uncomfortable for a lot of it. Um, I had, I just, I love that space of being in like, you know, it's, they say where two or more are gathered, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, like I was, I just felt like that space of oneness and, and divinity was so easy to access in that space of pregnancy. And I, and I got to go there a lot and I got to do, you know, my daily walks on the beach and really, um, access that space. And, and it was lovely. And then, you know, I get a big fear bomb thrown at me. And so I, I worked through that and, um, and had this amazing moment actually when, I remember waking up in the middle of the night in like panic of like, what if this baby can't breathe and I can't resuscitate it right after it's born? Like, you know, and I, I had to, you know, massage, massage myself out of that one and, and go back to sleep. And when I, when I woke up again, I had a message on my phone from a friend of mine who, um, I have in a ceremonial community and she was living on the big island of Hawaii and she had called me exactly at that moment when I woke up in the middle of the night I had my phone I put my phone on airplane mode so I didn't see it until the morning um but I had a voice message from her and she was like all groggy she's like I just woke up I had this dream about you and mother divine mother was there and was saying to tell her that it's going to be okay and there's nothing to worry about and that when it comes to the birth of the baby like the baby's going to be fine and that there's absolutely nothing to worry about and, and your job right now is to mother yourself and I was like so there were moments like that all throughout my pregnancy <laughs> like that was awesome like if there's ever a message from spirit you know it's like actually landed directly in my voicemail box mm -hmm. of like chill out it's all going to be okay and it's just your own fear that you have to that you have to work through and 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 navigate and um you know so there and I had plenty of opportunity to have to work through my own fears and and navigate them and I decided not to have a non-stress test and not to um engage myself any further with any medical anything um hi women i'm sparrow i'm the creator of the online course body full of grace in this course i guide you through self-massage techniques to pinpoint and relieve pain postural guidance to correct habits 
daily stretches to create space and freedom and movements and exercises to strengthen and align. I had a pain-free, wild and radiant pregnancy utilizing everything I teach in this course. With every bone in my body, I wish the same for you. For more information, visit freebirthsocietycourses.com slash body full of grace. I was 41 weeks and I think two days. And I was starting to get really nervous because I'm like, okay, we're not, I'm not, I'm not doing this like way post dates thing again. You know, all the like old stuff starts to come up. Um, and so it was a, like a daily practice to just stay present and to, to trust. And um, I remember having a conversation with my daughter the night before I went into labor. And I was like, look, you are getting really big. And I know it's cozy in there, but if you get any bigger, I'm not going to be able to push you out. So we need to get this thing rolling because I like this is we, we get to be done with this part. And then that night I was laying in bed and I was visualizing the protein that the baby's lungs put out to like initiate the labor process. And I had this amazing sensation where it was like, like a light went off in my uterus and it was like I could see this happening in the in the baby's lungs and like had this like wave go through my whole body it was really wild and I kind of giggled I was like wow that was crazy and so then um I'm laying there you know sleeping and I had to fart in the middle of the night and then so I farted really loudly and there was this like gush that happened at the same time I was like oh oh my God, I think that was my water. Granted, I had been having like early labor for a month at that point. I'd been having Braxton Hicks, but like, like Braxton, I, I don't like calling Braxton Hicks, but I had been, I had been having warm up labor for, for a solid month. Contractions that I had to like stop and breathe through for like hours. And so I just kept telling myself, my body is preparing. My body's preparing. I'm like, this birth is going to be easy because of all this. Um, so I wasn't ready to acknowledge to myself that I was in in any kind of labor. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, ride this. And, you know, I started to feel a little bit of cramping, but I, I slept through it. And then I wake up um, in the morning and I'm, I'm definitely starting to feel some, some happening. And... Um, I'm, you know, get in the shower. I'm like, okay. And my, my daughter comes in. I'm like, I think we're actually going to have a baby today. She gets all excited because it was just my husband and my daughter and myself. And she was really excited because my husband, and I told her she could watch how, however many movies she yeah, wanted right. to during the, <laughs> during the day. Um, and so I was like, maybe I want to go for a walk on the beach, you know? Um, and I take my shower and by the time I get out of the shower, I'm like, I am not going anywhere. Like this is really starting to pick up. Um, and we had darkened our, my room was really bright. And so I like put, you know, sheets over all the windows to, to darken the space. And I was like, wow, these, this, like these rushes are starting to get really intense. And, um, so I'm, I'm going to go to my altar. I'm going to light my altar and, you know, let's let everyone know that this is, this is happening. 
and I, I sat down on my altar because we had like a, like a prayer circuit of people who were going to, you know, light their candles for me and everything. So I sat down on my altar. I lit my candles at my altar and I had a whopper of a contraction that like took my breath away and it was so painful. And I was like, fuck, like if this is early labor, I don't, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like this is so incredibly intense already. I was prepared for like 30 hours of this, right? So the altar's lit and I just go right into like surrender with my body. I'm moaning and um, all the things. My husband, I do wish in retrospect that we had had a little bit more community and I had had at least one other um, adult present in the space because my daughter, my baby was OP and which I didn't know until after she was born, but the, the back labor was so intense that my husband for a good portion of it, um, I could, he was not allowed to leave because he had to keep his hand on my back, even when I was not having contractions because it was so incredibly painful and so intense that I was like, this, I, you're not allowed to leave. I need water, but you can't go anywhere. Um, and so it went like that for a, a couple of hours. And, um, and then finally I was like, I, I feel like I need to poop, but, but I'm going to make it to the bathroom because I really don't want to poop on my bed. So I'm going to like go to the bathroom and, um, you know, I'm sitting on the toilet and I actually pooped in the toilet. I was so proud of myself. And then, and then I start feeling the urge to push and I look at my husband. I'm like, this cannot be happening already like this is way is this even like did I even go through transition like what the fuck is going on this is like a freight train experience right and um and he's like I don't know like do you feel like I'm like is is it time yet can this can this be happening already um and but it was like okay this is what my body is doing so here we go we're doing this we're gonna start pushing um but it was really interesting. I think actually, I don't think I was fully dilated because I had, what would happen is I would have, um, pushing, my body would push and then I would have a couple, um, contractions that weren't pushing contractions and I could feel myself opening and then I would have pushing contractions and then I would have contractions that weren't. Um, and, I think my body was just like, we need to get this baby out because she was not in an optimal position. The cord was actually wrapped all the way around her body. And when she came out, um, it was, it was tight and flat and white. So it wasn't like that round, you know, bouncy cord with blue blood still in it. It was, it had been stripped and flat. Um, and she did have a little bit of trouble getting started. Um, but yeah, when I was, I mean, when I was pushing her out, I was like screaming like crazy. I was like, oh my God, my landlord is going to hear this. This is, you know, but like, here we go. But the neighbors can hear me. Like I'm roaring, I'm screaming, I'm pushing this baby out. I, because she was in an odd position, I, I could feel her head. Like I felt like my clit was going to rip. And so I had to put my hand there and brace myself and sort of push her head more you know, towards where it was supposed to be. So I'm like, this is not an exit. <laughs> you can't get out this way. Um, and so, yeah, you know, a couple pushes later, her head came out. 
Um, and then I was so mad at my husband because I was like, I get my paws. I'm going to get my paws. That was like my whole thing. I didn't get my paws in the first birth. And, um, and her head came out and he was like, are you sure you don't need to keep pushing her? Like, I said, like, I was like, come on, really? But I think he got kind of freaked out because, um, cause her head, it didn't fully turtle, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't lolling either. Like it, it you could tell that she was kind of a little bit stuck. Um, and the cord was really, really tight around the back of her neck. So I think he had like a little bit of a fear moment. And then, um, you know, I pushed her out like to her mid torso and he was like, do you want me to pull the rest of her out? And I was like, yes, please like just get this baby out. She was so big. Um, she was such a gigantic and fat baby. Um, and you know, so you know, the cord, so I, I, I noted all these things. I was like, okay, the cord is, is flat and white and she's, you know, a little bit limp and not really starting, but I was just, I just was with her and talking to her and just really present with her, um, and rubbing her back. And, you know, she kind of did a little bit of gurgling. It took her a while though. It was actually days of her kind mm-hmm. of like gurgle breathing, you know, before her lungs were fully clear. Um, and I, I did, I think I did end up, you know, sucking out her, her nose and mouth just to sort of like get some gunk out because it was, you know, you're just, when you're there, you're there with it and you do what you need to do. And it's, it kind of just happens and you don't, you're not thinking about it so much. It's just like, okay, here's a baby having a little bit of trouble breathing and I'm, I'm just going to stimulate it. And I'm going to, you know, I held her sort of not fully upside down, but at an angle, because I had done my Karen Strange NNR course back when I was studying it free. So I knew all the things to do. Um, yeah. And, and it was just, I was just in it and with her and, um, and finally she was breathing and, you know, I was like, all right, I guess I like lean back in the bed and, um, you know, put her to the breast. And it was this beautiful moment. My, my other daughter was there and we all crawled in the bed together. And then I was like, still having really intense contractions that were actually worse than labor pain. Yeah. And I was like, what is going on? And I, and I, and I was like, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to pass the placenta. It had been like an hour and a half or something ready to pass the placenta. I push out what I thought was a placenta, but it was really a placenta sized blood clot. Um, and so basically I'm just like laying there and I'm bleeding and I'm having more contractions and I keep bleeding and I keep bleeding and I keep having more contractions and there's no placenta coming out and I tug at it and I can't get it out and I can't get up. My bed's too soft. I can't get in the right position. Uh I'm super fucking weak. And like every time I try to move, I have these like really incredibly painful contractions that knock me back over. Uh And like, I could not get up and I'm, I'm huge and I have a baby and a cord still attached and, Finally, my husband um, ended up getting me to the edge of the bed because I was like, maybe if I get to the bathroom and I sit on the toilet, I can get this thing out, you know, Um, because it had been like four hours at that point by then. And um, he gets me to the edge of the bed. And then the next thing I know, I'm on the floor having contractions on the floor. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing on the floor? This is awful. And then my hearing went away. And um, I looked at my husband. I said, I think we need to call the EMTs because... Uh, this is not it's not a good thing for my hearing to go away I should be able to hear 
Um, and you know, that would have been a point where I would have like called the midwife, but she was like, call the EMTs. So I called the EMTs and I was like, they'll be able to help me get the placenta out. And so, you know, next thing I know, there's like four gigantic men in my room and I'm naked on the floor and covered in blood. It looks like a murder scene on the bed because <laughs> the our entire king size bed was completely saturated in blood at this point. Um, and my daughter's like, who are all these strange men in the, in the house? And they take my blood pressure and they're, I'm like, okay, so here's what's going to happen. I go into like my Romanian dad mode. Here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick me up and you're going to take me to the bathroom so I can get this placenta out. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Actually, we need to take you to the hospital. I'm like, no, you're not going to take me to the hospital. You're going to take this placenta out of me. And they're like, we don't know how to do that. We can't, we can't do that. Um, I'm like, what the fuck good are you then? Like, why are you here? I don't want to go to the hospital. You know? What got me um, was they were like, ma'am, your lips are turning blue and your blood pressure is 60 over 40. And I was like, okay, fine. You can take me to the hospital. Um, so they took me and um, it was actually, I think that that hospital trip was part of the healing that I had to do for my first birth because um you know, they wanted to give me Pitocin and I was able to say no and actually be heard. And they did not give me Pitocin. Um, they wanted to stitch me up cause I had like a very tiny tear that would have required two stitches. And I said, no. Um, and they didn't stitch me up. So as soon as they, I, I got there, you know, they got the placenta out and, um, and I was fine. I knew what I needed. You know, I was like, I don't need Pitocin. My uterus is contracting, obviously just fine. I just needed them to take the fucking placenta out. Like it was stuck. It was huge. It was humongous placenta. And it was, the blood had clotted all around my vulva at that point, kind of like holding it in place. And it, and I was not able to get at an angle um, because I was so weak from all the blood loss at this point. I was not able to get at the angle that I needed to get at and apply enough force in the right angle to get it out of me. Um, and cause that she had to, she had to pull considerably hard, you know, she had to use both of her hands to get it out. Um, and she had to kind of like fold it. She did like this weird folding thing. Um, so it was, I, I needed, I needed the help with, with the placenta and I lost a ton of blood. I was like, um, right above where they give, um, blood transfusions and I my skin was yellow for like a month afterwards I mean I had lost a lot of blood but even in all of the craziness of the hospital and like I still had this just amazing moment with my baby and I was like I did it like I like I feel like people can hear that story and be like oh my god it was like you didn't get the free birth that you wanted and it's like yeah, yeah I didn't want the hospital transport but I actually when I look at that birth I'm like I I did something amazing and I did it. I did it. I do feel like I did it on my own, even though I needed help with the placenta, because I think if there had been some few different conditions, like I would have been able to get it out and it would have been fine. And so I don't really see that as like a, a failure on my part or like something I did wrong or like wish I had done differently. Um, you know, it's just like, that's what happened. And I really do feel like that being able to go to the hospital and have, I mean, again, it was like the Pitocin and the stitching. Those were two of like the worst parts of, of the hospital experience before. And like, 
I got to say no and be heard. And there was a huge healing for me in that. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't go to the hospital. And so I feel like it was all actually exactly what it needed to be and perfect. And my baby's perfect and totally awesome. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we got to do it that way. And then, you know, go into lockdown two weeks later. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's a big story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about the conditions in which your daughter, the way you spoke about like your, you know, her head maybe was a little stuck and the OP and the, and the, um, the cord and the flat cord and Mm -hmm. the slow start and, and all of that really is incredibly normal. And you proved the very point that it was normal, right? Mm -hmm. Because she was perfectly normal, healthy, you know, thriving baby. And like, if that story was always going to happen, you know, like, let's say the placenta was always going to need some support. What a freaking gift that you got to have your like seemingly slightly compromised, but actually not at all, baby, at home yeah. with no one fucking with you. I can't even uh, tell you how many times I've I've been I've yeah. thought about it and I'm like, oh my God, if I had even had a midwife at the house, it would have been bad. She would have told me yeah. that the baby was OP and then I would have had the psycho because I didn't know until she came out. She came out, she was a face presentation. Um, and she came and she, and she, and she was OP, but I didn't know that until she was born. Yeah. If I had known that when I was in labor, my psychology would have grasped onto that. It would have been so much harder for me to work yeah. with. Um, I mean, there was like so much that I'm so, so, so grateful that we did it at home. So yeah, there's that, there's the, the starting that, you know, it's like. Which all of that stuff is totally normal. My baby was limp and slow to start and it was not a problem at all. But if there had been handsy people around, um, you know, I would have been cut. I would have, my baby would have been taken and suctioned and given resuscitation. And yeah, I know. I mean, these are the kind of stories that like you, you might, one might hear them and be like, oh, it should have been in the hospital, but it proves the point that it didn't need to be. And we we know what would have happened in the hospital and it would have been so traumatic. I'm so fucking glad it was not in the hospital and that I didn't have a midwife, honestly. Like I'm I'm yeah, me too. I'm glad for all of it. And like I said, like I really do feel like the like going to the hospital was part of the healing of that story that mm-hmm. I needed to do. And so like it was all perfect. It was all And I really appreciate your willingness to like try on that perspective because you could have looked at it a lot of different ways and I think that's really um, kind, you know, to yourself to really look at how things unfolded in a for you kind of consciousness and that you could see it as an opportunity to heal and to have practiced your voice. And, you know, you could have the exact same story and see it, you know, a bunch of other ways Mm -hmm. that weren't as, um, like helpful, you know, to your, to your own, um, processing really. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't feel like I have any trauma from that experience. My poor, my daughter, my eight-year-old does have some trauma because actually part of it was because of the whole COVID situation. Like, like we weren't under lockdown yet, but the hospitals were already preparing for it. And Mm. so I didn't actually get taken to the ER. I got taken to OB 
Um, but my husband and daughter didn't know that. And they got to the hospital and they wouldn't let my daughter into the ER because she was, because she was young and because of COVID, they weren't letting children into the ER. And so that was a big trauma for her because she didn't know where yeah, I was. Um, and we've had to do some processing around that, but like, I don't feel like I had any trauma from the whole experience. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was all such a healing, such a beautiful, such an awesome experience. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, for letting me share it. It feels good. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shia Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start.